The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. More than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care, with guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Meryl Griff. Welcome to Caught Between Generations. I am Dr. Meryl, and I'm so glad you decided to join us today. I want you to take a moment and think back on a defining moment in your life. It could be an unexpected compliment from someone who was constantly criticizing you. It could be an achievement, something you won, or getting into the school of your choice, or getting the job you wanted. More often, though, think about it, the moments we remember are the situations that didn't work out for us. The words someone said that hurt us, something that we tried to do and failed. And like you, both our guests in this episode had these defining moments. For Tara Robinson, it was being made fun of by her classmates. For Alison Carmen, it was the threat of being let go from her prestigious job as an attorney. But both Tara and Allison used these experiences to make significant changes in their lives. They developed simple but very innovative approaches to life, which they're going to share with us in this episode. For Tara, it's a new way of looking at our definition of success and productivity. For Allison, it's a simple statement. The gift of maybe. We begin with Dr. Tara Robinson. Tara has a PhD in biology. She's worked in the rainforest and she authored Genetics for Dummies. But Dr. Robinson left all of this to become an executive coach and write about productivity because she was worried that she wasn't living up to her potential. Really? I just can't believe what we do to ourselves and how we allow others to impact our view of ourselves. So today, we're going to learn a new way of thinking about ourselves and about our lives. It starts with Dr. Tara Robinson. Welcome, Tara, to Caught Between Generations. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. Oh, thank you. It's so great to have you. So, Tara, in your newest book, Sexy and Soulful, you discuss the difference between the male and female approaches to productivity. What, what is that difference? Well, I'm really glad you started with that question. I've, been, I've actually spent my entire morning uh, writing and working on this topic. Women typically prioritize relationship, we prioritize collaboration, and we prioritize caregiving. Not that men can't prioritize those things, but women typically have demands on their time 
and are faced with uh, sort of tasks of daily living that men often are not doing. So um, some of your read- our listeners may have seen the annual letter that Melinda Gates wrote, and it's Melinda Gates' uh, Bill Gates, billionaire Bill Gates' wife, and she talked about this thing called time poverty. And women typically have, at least in the United States, women typically have about four hours of unpaid work per day as opposed to men who have two, two and a half. And that unpaid work is childcare, it's meal planning, it's grocery shopping, it's housework, it's all these demands on women's time that men often don't have. And so women actually have, I think, a very different um, challenge in terms of what it takes for us to manage our lives and still get to those things that we love and to still have lives of fulfillment and joy. You know, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about this for a long time, but Mae Sarton, um, who was a poet and an author, in one of her books said, posed the question, why aren't there more women authors, famous artists, you know, sculptors, all of this? And her answer to this is, is in order to be really, really successful, what you really need is a good wife. (laughs) Oh, it's so funny that you say that because I don't know if you saw the, and I never really watched it, but there was a reality show called Sister Wives about a plural family. And I told my husband kind of jokingly, but sort of not. I really wish you'd get me a sister wife. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to watch that show. So, so Tara, on, on Quote Between Generations, I like to share simple, easy-to-implement techniques that people can begin using right away. Um, and you have many of these in your book. But actually, um, as I told you before the show started, one of these techniques... I started to use myself as soon as I read it, and it's already helped me out tremendously. I really, really like this. So I'd like you to share with us and explain to us the use of a technique you call brief daily sessions. Absolutely, and this is one of my clients' favorite topics, too. Um, My clients really, really adore this technique. So I kind of put this quickly in context for your listeners. I talk about three destructive myths about time, and the first of these myths is that um, there will be more time later. But the truth of the matter is there's not going to be more time later. When future days roll around, they're going to be just as full and just as full of demands as today is. And so what I'm trying to teach with brief daily sessions and the other techniques in this chapter is about having enough time now. Part of this myth of more time later is that we get we fall prey to procrastination. And brief daily sessions is a great, great technique to overcome procrastination. So here's how it works. You take a timer, and most of our smartphones now have timer apps on them. Set the timer for three to five minutes, something very short, and then go to work on this project or task that maybe you've been avoiding. Or is it something that feels like it's so big that it's scary? When the timer goes off and after you've been working that three to five minutes and the timer alarms, if you've got momentum and you feel some motivation, you can keep working for as long as your schedule allows you to. But if not, then just take a quick little post-it note and write out 
the answers to two sentence prompts. The last thing I did was, and fill in that blank, and the next thing I'll do is, and fill in that blank. And this marries two really powerful principles. One is that motivation follows involvement. One of the things we know about motivation is that if we just sit around and wait for it passively, generally motivation does not show up. But if we get involved in a task, if we get involved in action, often motivation will immediately present itself and become part of the encouragement to continue. So that's one thing. The other thing is that by doing this, last thing I did was, next thing I will do is, it also begins to teach us the ability to start on demand. And this is an incredibly powerful way of overcoming this myth of more time later. We start working in the time we have available and really focusing on the time we do have in the now moment. And, of course, the now moment is really the only one we have anyway. And this helps us to get to work quickly and easily so that we get more done and we also free up more of ourselves for those things that we really love. I I like this technique a lot because I used it for some tasks that I had to complete, but I really didn't want to do. And so saying to myself, oh, come on now, Meryl, you you can do this for at least five minutes, all right, just made the whole approach to the task so much easier. I mean, it was just incredible because I could probably do most things for just five minutes, so it was great. So, oh, I'm so glad that you benefited from it. That's really great news. So another technique that um, you talk about, and I love this technique because it's named after food, and I love food. So can you explain to us the Pomodoro technique? Absolutely. So the Pomodoro method was created by an Italian, and for those who speak Italian or know Italian, Pomodoro is the Italian word for tomato. And he named the technique Pomodoro because his kitchen timer was in the shape of a tomato. And he was trying to overcome his tendency to get so involved in work that he would work continuously without taking breaks, without taking time to rest. But, uh, you know, another part of the problem that some folks have, myself included, is that we're also very distractible. And this technique can work for both of those problems. So the Pomodoro method is you set the timer for 25 minutes and you don't need a tomato-shaped timer. There are tons of apps. All you have to do is search Pomodoro timer on your app store and you'll find tons of apps for this. And the idea is to work for 25 minutes in a very concentrated, very focused fashion. So screening out distraction, holding off interruption, and then taking a five-minute break. One of the things I found, and I tend to be one of these people that once I get very involved in a project, I tend to like forget to get up and stretch or go to the bathroom or get a glass of water. Working in the Pomodoro method greatly reduces the fatigue that I feel at the end of the day. So I'm a writer. I do a lot of work on the web. This is a really a great rhythm and a very sane rhythm of working with great focus and dedication and then taking these short breaks. And the other kind of piece of the Pomodoro is that they suggest that after you do four Pomodoro sessions, four of those 25-minute sessions, that you take a slightly longer break of about 15 minutes. It's a really, I think, a very, very sustainable pace of work. And for those of us who are knowledge workers, as probably many of the folks listening are, uh, this is a great way of working in a way that will leave you feeling less fatigued at the end of the day. 
So, Tara, we only have um, about two minutes before the break. So can you quickly share with us uh, information about found moments? Sure. So my thought about found moments is that throughout our day, we have these moments of stillness or we have moments where we are sort of caught between appointments or, or we're in our car. We can use those found moments in a lot of different ways. One of the things I advocate is that we use those moments for stillness. And so instead of picking up our phones or distracting ourselves, just to tune in to the breath, to just be fully present. And that those moments of stillness actually give us a greater sense of spaciousness in terms of our time. Thank you. That was, I love these techniques. Um, and your book is filled with them. And, and they're, they're great because they're very easy to implement in, in your daily life. And, and caregivers need things that are easy to implement. We don't have time um, to do something that's going to take us you know, hours or days to learn in terms of new techniques. So I really do appreciate all of that. You're listening to Caught Between Generations, and I'm your host, Dr. Merrill. So I'm talking today with Dr. Tara Robinson, and what does it mean to be an alchemist of time? An alchemist of time. So do I really want to become an alchemist of time? And if I do, how do I become one? So Tara is going to discuss that with us when we return from the break. She's also going to tell us about how we incorporate what we love most back into our life. How do we become in touch with that? And how do we incorporate that back in our life? And do we really need to choose between career and family? Do Is that a choice we really need to make? When we come back with Dr. Tara Robinson, we're going to learn how to transform stress and impatience and urgency into a sense of balance and ease. You're going to want to stay with us. Thank you. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. At SarahCare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities and home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. 
The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. To Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. You're talking to Dr. Tara Robinson about a new way of looking at time and productivity. So, Dr. Robinson, what does it mean to be an alchemist of time, and do I want to become whatever this is? Well, I used the term alchemy of time kind of in honor of one of my clients, because uh, we were having a session, and she was wailing about this unexpected demand in her schedule that she, was, that she felt she absolutely must attend and I said, well, how are you going to, how are you going to do that? And she said, well, I'm going to make time for it. And that really stuck with me because it's a phrase that I think people use. I'm going to make time for that or I'm making time for that. But the truth is that often they're making time for things that, that they don't really necessarily love or really want to invest themselves deeply in. And they're not making time for things like self-care, creativity, uh, relationships the things that they love most. So I used this phrase, alchemy of time, because I started thinking about what do we want to take that we've currently got in our lives and what would we change it into? So I spoke in the earlier segment about these three destructive myths about time. So one of the things is scarcity, that people talk about not having enough time. So I talk about how to transform scarcity into enough I talk about how to transform urgency into ease. And then I talk about in the third myth, which is kind of a a counterintuitive myth, and the myth is my time is precious. People don't think of that as a myth, but it's actually a myth. And what's the problem with my time is precious is that when we grasp time as a possession, we become very, very possessive of it, we become impatient and we become stingy with our time. And so I talk about, in the alchemy of time, transforming impatience into equanimity. And equanimity is a term that folks who know about uh, meditation or have taken a meditation class may have heard this, this term before. Equanimity is an evenness of mind. It's an ability to take what life gives to us and choose responses in a more skillful way that, rather than just merely reacting. It allows us to be... Uh, sort of more even keeled in in our lives. Not that we don't still have strong emotional reactions or that we don't feel strong emotions, but that we gain, I think, greater facility and skill in our responses to the, the things that life throws at us. And so I think alchemy of time is actually an extremely useful skill to acquire, and it really is about making time for what we love. So how do I really get in touch with what I really want to do? You know, how do I rediscover that? Because I'm so busy taking care of all these people. 
um, and I'm constantly running from this person's needs to that person's needs. I mean, how do you do that? Well, that's a really great question, and I think that there are seasons in our lives in which we are so... So the the image that comes to mind for me is this great rushing rapids. So if anyone's ever witnessed a really great rushing river that has lots of big boulders in it and the water's moving very fast, I think that sometimes life feels like that, that we're sort of on this rushing river and that we're just being sort of swept along by it. And I know I've had seasons in my life like that too. I think there are times, even in those seasons of our lives, in which we can find these little eddies, these little calm places in a day, in a moment, where we can really start to ask ourselves what it is that we love most, what do we feel sets our hearts on fire, when do we feel most alive. One of the the first section of the book, the first third of the book, I kind of fashioned it in sort of a memoir fashion, but I was using my own story as sort of a vehicle to allow the reader to examine their own story and to sort of rediscover or discover for the first time what they love most because life has a way of disconnecting us from ourselves. And I think especially when we're in those seasons of intense caregiving, and I've been through that certainly with my uh, with my own dad through his illnesses and ultimately um, through his final illness when he passed away. And now there are seasons of caregiving with my mom, who uh, I'm an only child, so I'm primarily uh, her caregiver. You know, there's not any anyone else to whom to delegate that that responsibility. But I think that if we look back at who we were as children, as teenagers as young adults, that there are aspects of our lives that we can recall or explore more deeply, and those often will help us to regain a knowledge or discover for the first time what it is we love most. You know, I think sometimes... No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I think sometimes... We, we don't allow ourselves to think about that because we stop ourselves. We say, oh, what's the point? I'm not going to have time for that anyway. So what's the point of thinking about it? And I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and we were talking about things actually that we used to do and used to like to do and, and haven't had opportunities because I was caregiving for my mother and she was caregiving for her mother also and also a son. Um, and... She said to me, well, tell me something, Merle, that you used to love to do and you're not doing anymore. And I said, actually, I love to ride horses. I love to go horseback riding, and I haven't been able to do that for a while. And when we thought about it, I realized that I really didn't return to it because I used to ride a couple of times a week, and that was absolutely out of the question at this point in my life. But she said to me, well, you know, maybe you could do it once a month. Once a month would be okay. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know what? She's right. Sometimes in returning to things, you don't return to it on the same frequency that you used to do it before. But sometimes it's okay to return for just to do it once a month would be, would be just fine. Absolutely. And I think another thing that came to mind as you were describing that to me is that 
we have more control over time than we sometimes realize. So the second of these three destructive myths is time is outside my control. And it is true that we can't control the clock and the calendar, but we can control our perception of time. And more than once I've heard you say something along the phrase of, I don't have time for that anyway. Part of how our reality is created and our beliefs about time are created are by what we say about time and how we speak about time. And I don't know if you've noticed it or if your listeners have noticed it, but I don't talk about not having enough time. I talk sometimes about not having space in my schedule, but I am very, very particular about the way I language time because that is part of how we form our perception of our reality. And so if you're like you described, thinking, oh, what's the use of, of thinking about what I love because I don't have time for that anyway. Maybe relanguaging that and saying, I would like to explore and learn more about what I love. I want to make time for that. And that's, that's a truth. So we're not, we're not speaking something that's completely untrue, that I have plenty of time for that, because maybe that feels so foreign right now that you can't, can't even say that out loud. But you can say, I want to make time for that. And that's exactly what you are thinking of when you talk about riding horses is maybe you can't do it twice a week, but maybe if you could do it once every couple of months, that puts you back in touch with something that you really cared about. And I really feel that these yearnings of ours, the yearning to go ride horses or the yearning to take a walk or, you know, we have often these yearnings and I really believe those are our loves that are calling to us and that if we can pay attention to those yearnings and honor them, even in very small ways, that can lead to very important breakthroughs in our lives. You know, we, um, at our Syracuse centers, we often ask people, is there something that we could provide for you, an activity that, something you always wanted to do that maybe you never got to do or you haven't done for a long time? And I was recently talking to an 85-year-old woman, and I posed this question to her, and she said to me, you know, actually, I always wanted to learn how to draw, and I never got to do it. And I said, Bernice, we can do that. We'll bring someone in, and we'll have drawing classes. It'll be great. And I said, by the way, what would you like to draw? You know, thinking she was going to say landscapes or fruit or something. And she looked at me, and she said, I'd like to draw men. That's what I'd like to draw. (laughs) I had a feeling. (laughs) I said, good for you. (laughs) Amen. Absolutely, sister. So, Tara, this this has been really, really great um, talking to you. I mean, you've given us lots of of really, really good tips. Do you have any last thoughts for us um, that you want to share that you think are really important? Everything's been important, but, but is there any last tip or comment you'd like to make for us? Well, I think the last thing I'd say is that I I think often about this priority of caregiving and that I think often society and the world really doesn't honor that. And there is something so sacred and so beautiful in being willing to give of oneself and to give of one's time to care for another. And so if listeners can just call to mind that that this really is a great gift. It really is a great honor and privilege when we get to care for another. It's, it's demanding, it's hard, but it's a very, very beautiful thing. 
Thank you, Dr. Robinson. And if we want to buy your book, which I would certainly recommend, or look at your website, what is your contact information? Sure. Uh, Folks can find me at tararobinson.com. That's T-A-R-A-R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N.com. And my book's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Everywhere books are sold. Thank you. When we return, Alison Corman, author of The Gift of Maybe, will be joining us. I have given copies of her books to many friends and recommended it to my professional women's book club. It's changed lives. But it begins with just a simple statement, maybe. So stay tuned and learn how Alison fought a powerful addiction in her life with maybe. Stay tuned and join us. We'll be back right after this break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. How's your husband now that he can't quite take care of himself? Or how's your wife now that getting around isn't as easy as it used to be? You'd know if your spouse was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. A full day of customized activities and their home by dinner. And nursing care that's right there with them. How's your spouse? Just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Try it for free. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on Falling Through the Cracks. Live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to drmerrill at caughtbetweengenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. And with us now is Allison Carmen. She is author of The Gift of Maybe, Finding Hope and Possibility in Uncertain Times. Allison was a former stressed-out attorney 
but she's now a life coach and a business consultant whose clients come from all walks of life. And I can tell you personally, she has made a significant difference in many, many lives. She has really touched a lot of people with her words and with her book. So, Allison, welcome to Quote Between Generations. Oh, thank you for having me. Thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to have you. So, Allison, in your book, you share your personal story about being stressed out and anxious. In fact, you refer to it as an addiction. What what was your addiction? I was addicted to certainty. I I needed to know what was going to happen next in my life. And if I didn't know what was going to happen, I projected things were going to be bad or they weren't going to work out. And I think a lot of us have this addiction in our society we're so worried that we're not okay we, because we can't know what's going to happen next. And what we do in order to make ourselves feel better is we write stories about what needs to happen for us to be okay. And I think we discussed this last time that I was on that sometimes we'll, we'll say, I'm going to have this job till I retire, or I'm going to have this amount of money in the bank when I'm 50, or my child will go to this college and everything will be okay. And we write the stories because they give us ground and they make us feel solid and secure. And even though intellectually we know life is uncertain, emotionally, for some reason, it makes us feel safe. But then the unexpected happens. We could lose our job. We could not have that money. Our child could not get into that college. And then all of a sudden we spin out of control again and we feel we're doomed. Life's not working out. I'm scared about what's going to happen tomorrow. And I lived like that for most of my life, always worried and always writing these stories about the future to try to make myself feel better. But then when that future didn't happen or something unexpected happened, I spun out of control. And it wasn't until I found this idea of maybe that my life shifted. Because when I found this idea of maybe, I realized and recognized that I don't know what's going to happen next. That my pain was actually coming from the fact that I thought I knew. And when I realized I don't know, and within not knowing is so much hope and possibility, my life shifted because life has maybe. And if you think about it, any given moment, we don't know what anything means. All we know is here we are with the hope and possibility that maybe things will change, maybe they'll get better, maybe we'll find our way, or maybe there's something in this moment that we can experience that we didn't even think was possible. So I was addicted to certainty and maybe has really healed me in so many ways and liberated me to look at as uncertainty as more as my friend than my enemy. So, Allison, the last time we did talk, you shared with us a story about your daughter. Um, And I'd like you to repeat that because I think it's a really good example of how you used maybe in your life to help you through a a personal crisis. Was this a story about my daughter when she was having stomach problems? Yes, that's it. Yes. Yes. Um, What's interesting about that story is that when that happened, I had already written the first draft of my book. And I was very into maybe, very committed to maybe. And my daughter came home from summer camp and she had a problem with her stomach. And I didn't think much of it. And I brought it to the doctor. And the doctor said, wow, you know, she's really having a lot of problems. We're going to take all these tests and let's also test her for celiac disease. And even though intellectually, I know people who have this, I know people live with this, emotionally I couldn't handle it. I didn't want this to happen. It was unexpected. I didn't want her to have a life with this disease, and I spun out of control. So I had written this book, and I could not get a hold of myself. And, and all day long, I was very upset. The doctor told me it would take seven days to get the blood work back. 
And that night, my husband was sleeping like a baby because he wasn't addicted to serious things. <laughs> I was. And I said, I, what am I going to do? I can't be like this for seven days. So I wrote this exercise. I made it up that evening as I was suffering. I asked myself, what is my biggest fear? And I wrote it down. My biggest fear was that my daughter has celiac disease and she will not be okay. And then I said, do you know, if, are you absolutely certain that thought's true? And I said, no, I don't know if that's true or not. And then I said, write your maybe statements, Allison. And I wrote maybe statements down for 20 minutes. Maybe she has celiac disease and she'll be fine. Maybe she doesn't have it. Maybe the blood test will show something else. Maybe there's something I need to learn in this moment. I just maybe did out for 20 minutes. And at the end of 20 minutes, I felt like this pop in my chest. I felt this lightness because I realized that I was telling the story of doom and gloom. And there was so much more. There was so much more that could possibly happen than that one fear. And that's what maybe does. It takes you from that little cramped place in your head where you're believing only one thing can happen and it's your worst nightmare. And it leads you to this open place. Even if you still have that fear, you recognize there are other possibilities that could happen too. And that night when I felt that pop, I just felt this ease. I fell right asleep. And for seven days, I was fine. I did my maybe exercise every day. I was very present. I was in the moment. See, because when you're not telling the stories of what could possibly happen, your mind actually just comes right to the present. And I changed my daughter's diet a little bit, and it turned out after seven days, we got the blood work back, and she didn't have it. She was lactose intolerant. But it showed me I had a choice how I was going to see life. I had a choice whether I was going to suffer or not. And when I found maybe, it allowed me to make better choices and to calm my mind and to have more hope for the future. You know, when I reread your book, I realized that as a grandparent, you know, that's why I'm more relaxed with my grandchildren than than their parents are, because I've kind of entered into the land of maybe as a grandparent. You know, as as a young mother, everything was very intense. You know, it had to be this way or uh, here were going to be the consequences, you know, for my children and they were not going to be good. And and so things were really intense and upset. And, And some things you do need to be upset about. But as a grandparent, I now have more perspective and I know that, you know, not everything is a major incident. And and so I'm able to be more relaxed. Um, yes. It's a shame I couldn't have that viewpoint of maybe when, when I was a young mother. Well, it's interesting that you just brought that up because out of all the places that maybe has helped me, it's helped me with parenting. Because if you go back to what the Buddha said, the Buddha said, all desire leads to attachment, all attachment leads to suffering. I have never met a parent who's not totally attached to their child because we have this deep need for them to be okay. But if you examine that a little closer, you will see that a lot of our suffering is not from our attachment. It is our inability to deal with uncertainty. Because when something happens with our child, they bring home a 73 on a test. Most of the time, we're not upset about the 73. We're thinking, oh, how are they going to get into a good college? How are they going to make a living if they only get 73 in math? If they're being bullied. Sometimes, yes, we're upset in the moment they're being bullied, but we're also projecting how are they going to make friends? How is this going to change? So what's happening is a lot of the aggravation, a lot of the intensity is we're always worrying about the future because we can't see how this thing is going to resolve. So with this idea of maybe, like you said, wow, it would have been such a relief. I've done work with so many parents who have been able to lessen this tight grasp we have on what's going to happen next and realize we don't know. But just because we don't know doesn't mean there's not hope and possibility. And I've seen parents across the board. I even had a woman 
who came to me, uh, her son was sick, and he had just been diagnosed with leukemia. And she said to me, Allison, all I have is maybe. She says, I can't be positive because I'm so afraid, and there's so much, I have so many negative feelings. You know, I, I, like, I like, used to like to do the law of attraction, but that just makes me feel guilty. She says, but maybe makes me feel different because I don't know what's going to happen with my son. But I recognize that within this unknown, maybe he will, they'll find a cure. Maybe they'll um, be able to treat him, and, and after two years, he, you know, he'll go on his way and go to college and everything will be fine. Maybe there's something for us to learn. And the most powerful thing she said is, Maybe there's something left for us to still experience in the moment. And with that mindset, every day when they're in the hospital, they played guitar and they laughed and they listened to music because they realized that, yes, this was happening, but their mind was, okay, well, in this moment, maybe there's something else as well. So maybe totally soothed her about what could happen in the future and what could be in the moment. And her son is in, on his final six months of treatment. He's doing really well. And this maybe mantra, maybe everything will be okay, has really been her rock. That's been her foundation. So, Alison, what do you think is the difference between your concept of maybe and, let's say, positive thinking? Okay. I love positive thinking. And the problem I always had with it is I was so afraid of the unknown that I couldn't hold the positive thought. Like, like when I first went out on my own, I would say, oh, today I'm going to land five clients, and, or this week I'll land five clients. And if I didn't land the clients, instead of, I couldn't stay positive and say, oh, it can happen next week. I was so afraid that because I didn't land them, I was never going to land them, or it was never going to work out, and I was never going to make enough money. But with maybe, I was able to look at that and bring hope to it and say, okay, well, maybe it's okay. Maybe I wasn't meant to get that client. Maybe there'll be another client. So what maybe does for people, it allows people who have this fear of the unknown, fear of what tomorrow could bring, it allows them to be more positive. And what's also interesting is that when I tried to be a positive thinker, I found it was also very hard because when a negative thought came up, I was like, no, 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 I can't be negative. I have to try to be positive. And after a while... I, I found that it was just a war, and, and one night, I remember after doing this for a couple of days, I went to sleep, and I had a nightmare that my mother died, my father died, my mother-in-law died, my father-in-law died. I woke up and had the same nightmare again, and I believed I had that nightmare because I was suppressing my negativity all day long, and I think we can't do that. I think what's so great about maybe is that it allows you to be negative. It allows you to be afraid. It allows you to be anxious, and then over time, when you're ready, you could say, maybe there's something else for me to experience. Maybe there's a new way I can look at it. And with maybe, I think that it allows that negativity to kind of dilute naturally, to spread naturally, to, to disappear naturally, and then go, become more positive because you're realizing life is filled with hope. So I think that if you're afraid of uncertainty, maybe I think is one of the best tools you could use to maintain a positive outlook. I, th- I think it's a good approach. I mean, I watch people, and I've done therapy with people who just feel as though there's only one pathway through life, and right. and this is what it is. And if you don't go down path A, your life will just become a disaster. There is no right. alternate. There is no secondary path or path B, okay. um, and it destroys them, and the anxiety just destroys them. Yeah, and, and you know what's so interesting about this idea of uncertainty. Other than love, I think our relationship with uncertainty is the most profound relationship we have. I think it's a relationship that dictates everything that we do in life. I think our relationship with uncertainty will determine 
who we're going to choose to be with, what job we're going to take, choices we're going to make for our children. So I think that if we don't face this on some level, we're going to be limiting our lives at, 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 at every place, every choice we could possibly make. So yes, it creates a tremendous amount of fear, a tremendous amount of anxiety, and also it really limits us because there's no certainty. You know, well, and the pain comes from wanting to know when you can't know. Al- so, if we Allison, can I'm going to interrupt. I want you to hold that thought. We're going into break. When we come back, we're going to let you finish, and we're going to talk about regret. How the gift of maybe can help us as caregivers, you know, just deal with the issue of regret. And we're also going to return to the issue of perhaps teaching maybe to children. Stay with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. When a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, it's probably the most frightening thing that's ever happened to her. Friends and family often don't know what to do for support, not to mention the patient herself. That's where Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio comes in. Join Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin, breast cancer survivors and advocates. They help by providing inspiration, information, and most of all, hope. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We've been talking to Alison Carmen, who is the author of The Gift of Maybe. And we've been talking about how her approach to life using the gift of maybe really helps us to deal with uncertainty 
and to deal with anxiety and worry. Allison, I want to talk about another strong emotion that people have, especially caregivers, and that is regret. You know, things I should have done, things I didn't do, things I, you know, I just can drive myself crazy thinking about what I should have done and didn't, and it just, we drive ourselves nuts. So how does the new mindset of maybe help me and help our listeners let go of regret? Well, regret is just so powerful. I actually call regret a reverse maybe, because what we do is we tell stories about the things we should have done or the opportunities that we miss. I mean, for me, people come into my office and they'll, they'll say, if I would have went into business with Joe five years ago, I would have been a millionaire today. If I would have married that woman 10 years ago, I would have been happy today. And we forget that we didn't, we didn't live that out. We have no idea what would have happened had we made that decision. Joe could have um, been dishonest with money. We could have been at the wrong place at the wrong time. We're so sure we're telling the story, but we have no idea what would have happened. And, and we, we, it, the story looks so great because the, our life that we're living today has twists and turns and problems, but the story regret never does. And we really don't know. Maybe it wouldn't have been better had you done that. Maybe it wasn't the right decision. Maybe it would have been harmful. We don't know. And when we recognize that maybe it wouldn't have been better, it really changes our life. And it's interesting that you um, talk about in the context of, of caregiving because most of the time that I find that, that people have had the hardest time when I speak to them is about that, the decision that they didn't make, the, the time they didn't visit somebody, um, if someone passed and they left the room, or the story that I tell in my book about um, my client Cliff. And I think we write these stories, but we will never know. We'll never know if it would have been better. And all we know is that maybe uh, from this point forward that we could pursue the life that we want, and maybe we did make the right decision, and maybe it wouldn't have been better. And we'll never know that. And I think maybe kind of lets us off the hook because it makes us realize if I didn't make that decision and I didn't play that out, how could I ever really know? So I I find maybe allows people a softness and a forgiveness and and more ease to, to to let go of the past and let go of the things they thought they should have done. Because it's not real, it's just the story we tell. Just like we project into the future, it's actually a projection of a false story about the past. I think that's so helpful, and I think it, it not only helps us deal with our parents, but I think it also helps us deal with our children, because as a parent, you know, I, I, I think we just focus a lot on the mistakes that we think we made as a parent. You know, if I had done this, you know, he would have done better. And or if I had done that, she would have done better. Um, and we just don't know. You're absolutely right. No, we couldn't know. I actually have this, this client whose son was um, going to college, and he, got, uh, he was going to play basketball, and he had a choice to go to an easy school, an easier academic school with a good basketball team, or a more difficult school with an even better basketball team. And she pushed him to, she felt to go to the better school and he was stressed and he was unhappy and a horrible freshman year and she was filled with such regret. I, I ruined my son's life. I gave him this advice. This was the worst thing that could ever happen. He's so miserable. And we discussed this reverse maybe. It's like we have no idea what it would have been like had she, had they chosen the other school. We don't know. We make it like we know. For all we know, he could have gotten injured and never played basketball again. He could have gotten into an accident. He could have made friends he didn't like. We have no idea. But because he was struggling today, the choice that um, he didn't make looked so beautiful. And when she recognized that it was a reverse maybe, 
and she was able to alleviate so much stress and worry. And you know what's so interesting about it, too? It freed her to come into the moment and look at maybe moving forward. It, she was so busy telling the story of regret that she couldn't become present to say, hey, my son has maybe today. Maybe he needs to transfer. Maybe he'll get better. Maybe he just had to acclimate. We don't know. But when you're so busy telling the story about yesterday, you are not present enough to open up to what's possible moving forward. So, yes, with, with parents, if they could just see the maybe, they will be able to let go of so much and be present for what's still to come. I think that's so valuable. Do, you know, your gift is so valuable. Do you think that you can teach the gift of maybe to children? I think it is one of the most powerful things that we could teach our children. It's, it's so interesting. My children are always watching the news. I have a 13-year-old and a 17-year-old, and they're coming to me, and they're like, what about global warming? What about terrorism? If I turn around some and I say, oh, honey, don't worry about anything. Nothing bad will ever happen. They will have no tools whatsoever to go out into the world. But if I turn around to them and I say, things are bad, the earth is warming, there's terrorism, you should worry, then they're also not going to have tools to deal with all the problems. But with this idea of maybe, I feel like it gives them you know, the truth, hey, listen, that we have global warming exists. There are problems in the world. But at the same time, it gives them hope because I could say to them, well, maybe things will get better. Maybe we can do something. Maybe there are answers that we haven't figured out yet. And when they think like that, they don't feel doomed. They realize, okay, I need to, put, I need to work on this. I need to be hopeful. I need to figure this out. And it also gives them hope, again, because sometimes, like I said, we don't know the answer in the moment. So I believe the kids who are the maybe thinkers are the ones that are going to be searching for solutions to make the world a better place. We have to give our children truth. At the same time, we have to give them hope. And I think maybe is the perfect combination. Allison, we only have um, actually just about a minute left. Can you just quickly give us your closing thoughts um, and, yeah, just your final thoughts? Okay. It sounds so simple because this is one little word, but it takes you from this little cramped place in your mind where you feel stuck, where you feel doomed, where you feel that life will never get better. And it brings you light, and it brings you hope, and it gives you another perspective, even if it's just one extra possibility. It expands you, and when you start to expand, you start to see your life differently, and different things will start to happen. And if you hold maybe in your heart, I I can almost guarantee you will suffer less every day and have more joy. Wow. So, Allison, tell us how we contact you. Um, Website? uh, My website is alisoncarmen.com. I write a lot about uncertainty and parenting and business, and I also write for HuffPost, Psychology Today. Um, my book is in all the major bookstores, um, and that's where you could find me. And I, I'm starting to do webinars in September, and I'm writing more books, and it's just a very exciting time. I'm very anxious to read your, your newest book that is not out yet. I so I enjoyed will, this one. You're one I of the first people I will send it to. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We've been talking to Allison Carmen about the gift of maybe. So my final takeaway for today is that the gift of maybe is a powerful book that emphasizes the power of words. In her book, Allison Carmen includes a quote from Cahil Gabran, who said, your living is determined not so much by what life brings to you as by the attitude you bring to life not so much by what happens to you as by the way your mind looks at what happens. Words can be very, very powerful. The way in which we talk to ourselves can determine our perceptions of people 
and can determine our perceptions of events. The way we phrase our thoughts can bring us hope and comfort or bring us stress and worry. In the end, it's actually your choice. You've been listening to Caught Between Generations. Remember to keep a smile on the hearts of those for whom you care and a smile on your face. I'm asking you to do just one small thing for yourself today. Just one. I want to hear what you've done, so share it with me on Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Visit our website, CaughtBetweenGenerations or SarahCare.com. Remember, just one small thing for yourself today. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week.